Hello and welcome to Bad Songwriter Podcast. I'm your host, Anna. We're here today with Mike DeGay. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. It's actually, it's funny you called me Mike because I go by Michael. But oh, when the I, file you sent me says Mike. I know, which is because when I, was, cause when I was a teenager making music, I went by Mike, yeah. <laughs> well, Michael Duguay then, um, who were, I'm trying out a remote podcast for the first time. Michael lives in Canada. Where exactly do you live? Um, I currently live in Kingston, Ontario, which is about uh, two and a half hours northeast of Toronto. Gotcha. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty close to the New York border. Gotcha. Yeah. So when did you first start writing music? I, I grew up as an athlete. My dad was a professional athlete. Um, and so I, and I'm the only boy in a large family. So I like mm-hmm. was sort of like just immersed in sport, even though I never liked it at all and always like coveted being a musician. Um, so I, when I hit high school, I kind of finally had that opportunity to, to start playing music and start writing. And, you know, as a kid, I guess I, um, you know, I had a little like Casio keyboard, um, and I would like, I wouldn't really write songs, but I would, I would like do covers. Mm-hmm. And you know, those keyboards have like all the different tones and the different rhythms. And yeah. you can like, and I got really into like, I guess what, like sort of like what some maybe DJs or producers do now, or like I was kind of sampling and stuff and like mm-hmm. would do like little covers of, I remember the first song I ever did one of these projects was um, that song, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, <laughs> um, which I think was popularized by... Um, the Lion King probably. Yeah. Um, so I would have been exposed to it. And then for whatever reason, like on this little keyboard, like in the privacy of my room as like an 11 year old started like learning how to do like a disco, <laughs> like early electronic <laughs> Casio version of it. That's um, adorable. Yeah. I, I guess that's how, it, like when I was a kid, I remember the first band I was, the band I was ever in was this like, I was in like senior kindergarten or something like really, really young. And I think we wrote a song. We were called Pearl Jam. <laughs> 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 and I, I quit the band when I when I learned that he had stolen the name Pearl Jam from <laughs> from Pearl Jam. <laughs> That's my like earliest like kind of musical memory. That's yeah. amazing. But then, like, in high school, I started uh, I started writing um, you know more and more seriously as high school progressed, and um, I was in a funk band in high school called uh, the Funk Odyssey, which was just this bad like suburban boy funk band like mm-hmm. you know, not not really good stuff and we were into like the Grateful Dead and, and that sort of stuff and as I got a little older I started writing and I just kind of turned that band into my my band and we just started playing my songs and stopped playing funk music. So you've brought some songs for us to listen to today. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about the first one that we're going to be listening to? Give us a little idea of when it was uh, recorded uh, yeah, for sure. So I guess the first one we'll put on is called The Second Coming. And this was off of like, the first album that I made. Um, I was lucky that when I was in high school, my band started performing at this theater where there were like, you know, like actual professional sound techs and mm-hmm. engineers. Who, and we kind of fell under their wing. So they actually helped us like do a semi-decent recording at the time. Right. So and really encouraged us to, to, to make this recording. So um the album's called The Midsummer Night's Scheme, which is, <laughs> which is a pretty cheesy um, title, I guess, for, for an album. And it's funny, I'm releasing a new record this year, and it's it just occurred to me the other day, it's also sort of a Shakespeare pun. What is it? It's called The Winter of Our Discotheque. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
so I guess this is like this like lineage that I have. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but yeah, this song, yeah, it's called, it was the first song on this, on this album. It's called The Second Coming. Yeah. So you can, you can hear that I had learned like how to play in this like interesting mode uh-huh. <laughs> on, the, on the piano. <laughs> I had like learned one non-standard mode, I guess, <laughs> in, in piano lessons and really wanted to flex that muscle. <laughs> Well, you really did. <laughs> I did. I really did. Yeah. I wasn't here for the first time. I was in a musical theater. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <They call me laughs> shows. Yeah. Very apparent. I can't even remember what songwriter says. Tom Waits. I was really into Tom Waits. Who this might maybe early Tom Waits. Yeah, I can hear that for sure. Yeah, sort of emulates a bit, but this is funny here. To go before I sleep. Just like a blatant uh, frost reference. Yeah. <laughs> I had like learned one mode and read one poem <laughs> by this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty classic. Yeah. What kind of musical theater did you like at the time? Like what was I interested in then? Yeah. Um, I guess like at the end of high school, I had performed in West Side Story, which is Sondheim, I guess. Um, that inf- like that specific influence, I don't think is super present here. But I, I, I was interested in like songwriters who, like Rufus Wainwright, I was really into. Yeah, yeah. You know, these like kind of vaudevillian, melodramatic, um, sort of like yeah, just that mel- melodrama that I think that they would. Uh, <laughs> I had, a, as you can hear, a, tr- a, pl- a friend who played trumpet. I think there's another um, Robert Frost reference coming up <laughs> again as well. Great. So I don't even really know what I was writing about here because I'm referring to like having like skeletons in my closet and stuff but I was like I was like 17 like I didn't have any real baggage in my life or right anything <laughs> at all um, I think this is here the witch road that I chose there is call back to Robert totally Brown. bringing it back around <laughs> I'm only nervous this, the woman singing there, the woman's voice that you hear, it's uh-huh. my friend Clara, who's who's still a professional musician and music educator. And oh, cool. She had a lot of talent, you can hear it. Um, yeah. But this line here... I can almost count the seconds until the second coming of the Dark Messiah. <laughs> it's extremely dramatic. I have, I have no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what I was referring to. I think it was like sort of like adolescent, like anti-religion statement, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, but very vague. <laughs> yeah, very, very vague. <laughs> really non-specific. This is like, I guess, kind of a clear sort of reference to Pink Floyd, like Rick like Gig in the Sky, I guess. Who I listened to a little bit, but I wasn't like a huge fan. I remember 
when I wrote these songs, it was the summer between grade, I think the summer after grade 12. Mm -hmm. And I, I convinced my parents that I didn't need to get a job because I was a songwriter, which is like, um, and they, they went for it. They like, they agreed with me. And I would get up every morning and make myself like a little espresso and like smoke a joint out back and like sit at my piano and compose this stuff. And like, so I had this like, some sense of like identity. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah, that was my life. But I remember intentionally like trying to use like, like I wanted to write songs that I felt like my peers couldn't learn or emulate. Uh-huh. This is very melodramatic here as well. Yes. Very military. <laughs> yes. Militant. So you wanted to write songs that were like totally unique. Yeah, that I thought no one would really be able to trace the origin. So maybe that's why I have a hard time like finding references necessarily. Like mm -hmm. like I said, like there's a clear Pink Floyd reference there, but I wasn't really a Pink Floyd fan. And it's funny listening to this stuff because I still do stuff like this as a songwriter. Right. It's maybe a little more refined now, but I still really enjoy, you know, little kind of curveballs and like weirdo stuff, like taking kind of a, a conventional song structure and then tagging it with something like we just heard at the end there. Um, or, you know, th throwing in a big vocal solo in the middle or whatever, that weird military part. But mm -hmm. um, it's funny to listen back to this stuff and trace like what, what still surfaces. Were you in the, a studio for that then? We recorded that um, in the theater. It, that was actually the first theater I had ever performed in. Okay. In that funk band. So it was the first like show we ever did. And so this funk band, I was in the Funk Odyssey. We were called the Funk Odyssey. Um, we were called the Funk Odyssey because we did a funk cover of the 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And we had won a battle of the bands and like developed a following because it was like a battle of the bands that featured bands from every high school in the town that I'm from, Peterborough. Um, and then we did this like, which looking back was actually like kind of a s smart strategy where we asked like every other band that had placed in the Battle of the Bands to open for us at the show at this theater. And then like, so my first show ever, like we sold out this big theater. And, like, oh my gosh. See, I know it's really strange. Yeah. And it did, it did a number on our egos, I think at that age, but like had a lineup for sure. around, around the corner and stuff. But I actually performed at that theater about three weeks ago. And this, so the Funk Odyssey became this band, which was called The Special Lights, Mike Duguay and The Special Lights. Um, and we were named after the the brand of cigarettes that I smoked, the Benson and Hedges Special Lights, mm -hmm. which I think ties into this whole persona that I had in my head uh -huh. nicely as well. Um, and I, But I was there three weeks ago, and there's still a Mike Duguay and The Special Lights sticker on the mirror in the green room. Oh, that's super <laughs> yeah. sweet. Yeah, it was pretty funny to see that. What yeah. a cool place to record. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I think, you know, when you're young, you kind of you take things for granted. And, yeah. Um, now I would like kill to have access to a space. Oh, like my that. gosh. You know, yeah. It's not a, not a studio, but it's a great sounding room. And yeah, like I said, we were really taken under the, the wings of these like really awesome people who were some were a bit older and some were much older who just wanted to see us sort of like if my memory serves me correctly. Like, I don't think I had to pay anything. Like, I think they just did it to help us. So yeah. that's super nice. Yeah, super cool. And those are all still folks I'm still in touch with, still friends with. So you have another so song off that same album for us to listen to. Yeah, and this one is called uh, Mosquito Bites. 
I showed some of the lyrics uh, to my my partner, sort of embarrassed to, <laughs> to show them to anyone. But um, I remember specifically this song I wrote after I had met my like my partner in high school, my girl, my high school girl, sweetheart. I I was a pretty nervous and shy kid, and like mm-hmm. I finally like had the guts to like ask her out, and she she invited me over to her to her house one night, and like her parents were away, and we just like stayed up all night, like on her couch talking, like, and she like made me a bowl of Cheerios in the morning, and I left. And I remember walking into a spring and I got bit by a mosquito. Uh-huh. And I had, I had this poetic moment of like, well, isn't that nice? Like, summer's coming. <laughs> this is a signifier that like good things are coming. And so I, I later wrote the song and the song begins. It's called Mosquito Bites refers to that. But this was like a love song I wrote for my high school sweetheart. And I remember performing it for the first time at like a coffee house or something like that at, at high school. Like some sort of high school performance. And like she was like really embarrassed <laughs> all the other everybody else thought it was really nice but anyways yeah since i guess about like adolescent romance yeah i think this is you know this piano part i guess it you hear that tom waits reference probably yeah too like i was that kid i think we all know like i still know these kids who are like 15 who like you know, my, my friends' kids now who are, like, eventually at some point when they're, like, interested in music, like, come around and are like, have you ever heard of Tom Waits? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was, I was into, like, Bukowski and, like, this sort of, like, this mystique that these these performers had or these artists had. Yeah. But you, I think you can hear in the piano, like, there's that. I guess, like, I was doing, you know, I had a sax player. I guess that was cool. Like. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so that poetic idea that was like the kernel of the song originally, that Mm -hmm. something that is irritating can also signify like approaching beauty or something like that. Yeah, that's super sweet. I love it. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was, you know, I can see... Again, I can see where, like, these themes have, like, developed, you know? Like, I still begin songs usually with a very specific sort of poetic idea, and then... I think this song, as it goes on, kind of loses its focus a little little bit, yeah. Yeah, actually, the guy who played bass on this... And the guy who played drums on this were both at that show I played three weeks ago. Aww. Um, and, like, happened to be in the same town and, like, came out and supported, yeah. But they're, like, the drummer, he still drums a little bit. And, and they're good players. He can... You can never find the words on the top of the world or just on her couch. <laughs> Some pretty cheesy stuff. <laughs> And it doesn't really show, but, like, I listen to a lot of, like, punk and hardcore. Uh-huh. Um, some of the other songs on this album are more punk-influenced, for sure, but, like, this is not. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> not really. Yeah, that's me on the piano. That's nice. Yeah, I guess it is. It's, it's pretty nice, yeah. <laughs> Do you play other instruments? 
Yeah, and actually, so piano was my first instrument. Um, and like I said, when I got to high school, I sort of abandoned athletics and um, for whatever reason, I think probably because of those early Casio experiences, uh-huh. um, you know, decided to move towards piano. And um, so that was my instrument for a long time. And then after high school, I moved out to the West Coast of Canada and I lived in a, like a little, this was like pre- like all of this music's like pre-MySpace even, right? Like there was, so I think influences were probably a bit different than um, people just slightly younger than me who had maybe a little more access to other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like Napster was where I would get my music. Gotcha, yeah. And I would just download stuff that I heard on the radio or saw on TV. So I'd, there wasn't the same culture of like exploring music as well. So mm-hmm. I had this small wheelhouse of stuff I liked, but um, but I yeah, I, I later got into... Uh, I play all, uh, yeah, I play guitar now. Um, mm-hmm. I started playing guitar shortly after this. When I moved out to the West Coast, I didn't have a piano, so I had to learn how to play guitar. That's exactly what happened with me. I'm, yeah? Yeah, I moved, went to college, and then I was like, oh, wait, I don't have a piano. <laughs> it's not very portable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is a great segue into the next song and the next album as well. Great. Maybe a bit of a punk influence here. Yeah. <laughs> Some pretty heavy-handed lyrical work. <laughs> this is an only temporary bliss. Like, I mean, I was 16, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what it's all about. Really heavy-handed, dramatic love things. I'm happy where I stand. I remember performing this at the coffee house and like looking right at her while I sang. Oh wow, that's so intense! <laughs> I, know, I, I was an intense kid. Yeah, <laughs> it's a super intense kid. Yeah, uh, like I, I was really shy, and you know, like a lot of artists, like once I got on stage, I felt less inhibited. And yeah, um, there's this funny little ending here to this like vaudevillian. that I tacked on. <laughs> I'm glad that when I was 16, I was writing seven minute long songs. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, This is one of the only moments on this record where you can hear the guitar, which was like the yeah. guitar player. We, you know, he played on every song, but you can't hear. It was just mixed so low in the mix. And like at that age, like I didn't know what like mixing meant. Right. You know, after we recorded it and then another person mixed it, I really didn't know what that meant. Um, but this is one of the only points where you can actually hear the guitar and the guitar player was so mad. <laughs> like obviously I'd be mad now as an adult if I played all over a record and then you couldn't hear any of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. <laughs> what a lovely little tune. It's cute for sure. <laughs> I think at the time I thought it was sexy. <laughs> right. I think it's, in hindsight, it's cute. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you tried. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we have one more song to listen to, and that's off a different album, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so this relates to that, you know, that segue I was just saying. So this album 
I moved, so I moved out west and I lived by myself in a cabin in the woods, no internet, no Wi-Fi, and I had to, I didn't have a piano, so I learned how to play guitar. Um, and at that time, I wrote this whole like body of work, I guess, that I think I had some sort of concept album or something that I wrote. I also wrote a novel. I was there for six months. Oh, wow. Um, and I was like in a cabin in the woods by myself. <laughs> I had moved out there thinking that there would be like a community or like... Right. Um, it was just like a really small Gulf Island off the west coast, like just kind of above like... Um, like Seattle, I guess, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I learned how to play guitar. And I, at this point, I think like I had become more, a little more focused as an artist and like I had more specific taste, I think. Like um, I'd really got into, you know, the songwriters who I list, still listen to a lot, like uh, Jason Molina and, and Vic Chestnut mm-hmm. and, um, you know, artists who I'm, you know, who really shaped my sort of identity as a writer. Um, so this album, I came back to Ontario where I, where I, live now and we're um and i borrowed an eight track recorder um and i sort of wrote these songs as i recorded them and the the album's called the great ivory famine which refers to poetically to not having a piano um when i (laughs) i wrote it um i love that (laughs) yeah it's pretty funny um and so yeah i just like i just teaching myself how to use an eight track um, and I was thinking about this a lot i was writing back like i'm the only musician i was renting an attic in my friend's house for like a hundred dollars a month or something like I had moved back at this point I had like rejected conventional work and was like I'm an artist and this is all I'm gonna do so I was at that stage mm-hmm. you know as a person and as an artist um so my friend kind of took pity on me and rented me her attic for a hundred dollars a month um and she had like a 12 year old son who was like a shredding guitar player like really really good and he's still he's still a guitar player I still gig with him sometimes I see him when I when I tour um so he played a guitar solo on one song not this song but he's the only other person he was like 12 when he <laughs> recorded it um, you can actually hear like squirrels running around in the attic at points. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I like, it's like the quality is really bad when I ended up giving it to the mastering engineer, who was the guy who recorded that last album mm-hmm. and asked him to master it. He said he would master it, but only if I didn't put his name in the credits because he didn't, he didn't want to be, <laughs> he wanted to support me, but didn't want his name associated with it. Yeah. Them. That's when it you know it's bad. Yeah. But I mean, I was learning, right. So I'd be like right. mixing, I'd be mixing, like a single tambourine track on one channel like and mixing it against another channel that had like 40 instruments bounced to it it was like this old analog technology right yeah um so there's like no way it was gonna sound good so no that's um, so tough (laughs) um and i really didn't choose this one for any reason other than i think it's kind of most representative of that project at that time but still i'm still a teenager for sure can hear that i was listening to like elephant six stuff like neutral milk hotel and early yeah. montreal and like i got into that you know kind of through vic chestnut i got into that stuff and you hear like u2 guitar you I still remember so clearly, like, I remember playing the bass track on this and being like, I never played bass before in my life. I never, like, <laughs> just kind of learning everything as I went. Yeah, that's great. I had a melodica, you can hear that little. Yeah. There's an accordion there, too. Watch your ears, there's a bit of feedback coming out, I think. Not too bad. 
think about the way that, you know, you've had this experience as well where you didn't have your original instrument or your primary instrument and having to learn new stuff and like, I think it creates a really interesting sort of like creative energy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you just like, for me, I just wrote songs in a different way. When I started mm-hmm. learning other instruments, I was like, oh, I can write a song that sounds like this now. Or I can, you know, it just like opened my mind up to a lot of different ways to like songwrite and yeah, genres yeah, yeah. I could songwrite in, things like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. And I think that like, maybe that's where the punk influence comes back in is just like having to be resourceful and like DIY and like absolutely working on a borrowed eight track recorder with like squirrels running around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, like, of course I loved when I captured the squirrels. Like I was so happy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought it was so punk rock when it happened <laughs> at the time. nice to listen back to that stuff like I, I think I when we were chatting about this podcast I told you I had to like call my mom and ask her if she still had a copy of that <laughs> at her, at yeah her house. And I ended up getting it from like the community radio station in Peterborough right? that's great how would you say that your songwriting process has changed over the years if at all well like I, like when I was at that young age I was totally like I had this sense of like I knew the identity I wanted I wanted at that young age and mm-hmm. I think I became like out of that like you know Bukowski Tom Waits and you know or, like beat poets and stuff stuff that I'm not particularly interested in any longer but like um, I think that developed into an ongoing interest in sort of you know like idiosyncratic sort of writers and, and performers people who are unusual unconventional right um I think like when I discovered Vic Chestnut like I said I disco- discovered Vic Chestnut because I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan um and he performed or no they performed one of his songs on a tribute to him which i think i discovered through napster like it's how i found Vic just not the first time like napstering smashing pumpkins b-sides yeah um and it just completely changed my life and like just he's he's he he was a very um sort of compulsive collaborator and so i write i write a lot I don't necessarily write a lot more collaborative but i write with collaboration in mind at all times but i think yeah like not being afraid to um try unusual things and um, was something that I kind of can hear developing at that point. Um, also, like, I was I was really interested in these characters and I later I later um, went on to develop a pretty serious drug addiction that I think was sort of related to, in a way, you know, inspired by these, right. you know, the mystique of addiction and or using in, mm-hmm. in music circles and rock and roll or whatever. And um, so since I've become a sober person, I'm 14 months sober now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My, my songwriting practice has completely changed. Like needless to say, right. Like I, I don't sit down with a 40 of something and kind of pound things out any longer. It's, it's much more focused. And, um, I'm really interested in as a songwriter, like zooming in on really, you know, finding like, I'd like to write about like 
seconds in, in time in my own experience. I'm very, very, very confessionally and very, um, you know, I write about my own experiences, almost exclusively about my own experiences. Um, and I, yeah, I like to zoom in so close to a subject and analyze yeah. it from sort of like cubism or something, you know, where it's like, I, it, that you get so close to it, it becomes distorted and abstract. Um, but, it, and often do write these, I write really long songs off a lot of the time too. And that, uh, that process is beginning to change too. Now that I collaborate more with people who try to rein me in a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've matured and, and, um, there, it's cool listening back to that, like I said, cause I can hear these little kernels of like things that still are totally, totally right. present in, in my practice for sure. And, and present in the, in the writing of people that I like and admire still as well. It's a weird time to be doing this podcast, <laughs> yeah. given sort of the state of the mm -hmm. world at this moment, um, having a pandemic and music sort of being on hold for a lot of people. But when it's not a pandemic, do you tour a fair amount? Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of shows? Um, I just canceled a national tour. Yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, sorry. Like, every, like, like everybody's doing, yeah, yeah. And, you know, even, you know, even if I... I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, of course I take what's going on very seriously, but also just out of solidarity too, you know, like it's, I think, um, this isn't the worst opportunity to, to sit back and reflect on why I do what I do and, and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I did, I did start touring again in the last you know year, um, when I got healthy and, uh, I've done, I'm pretty interested in touring to like far away places and Northern places. So I've been up to like the subarctic oh, wow. and some shows twice in the last year. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just kind of, you know, like I, I had a career in music um, and then it sort of fell apart when I became unwell and, and returning to it, I uh, I took a long time to decide and kind of how I wanted it to look and, and how I could do it in a way that served my well-being as well and like my, my, my health yeah. and the health of the people involved in the project as well. And um, I, I do really like touring. I really like, I think touring is a great way to collect sort of stories and anecdotes and, and new perspectives and, and I think really inform what I, I do as a songwriter far more than for me personally than just kind of staying in the community that I'm based out of or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, uh, so no, no touring planned right now, <laughs> uh, you know, given what's going on, but it's something that I plan to continue to do and have every intention of, um, coming down to the States too. And there are a lot of songwriters in the States that I would be so thrilled to get to interact with and work with and talk about writing, writing with as well. So, yeah. Yeah. What are some things you've been listening to lately that you've been really liking or that have been inspiring you? Um, recently, uh, they just released a, a new song today. Um, Waxahachi. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce. Sure, at that Waxahachi, something like that. Waxahachi, yeah. <laughs> I just she, she's released three songs off her new album, yeah. and I'm just I just love I'm loving what she's doing so much. It's like it's really like just plain, like it's like you know good old fashioned songwriting, but mm -hmm. just done in a unique way and telling great stories. And the production's really nice. I think Nick Kinsey's um, producing that. Um, just really, really good stuff. I'm really into um, uh, Bonnie Light Horseman, um, the project of uh, Nias Mitchell and Josh Kaufman, and um, I forget his name, but the fellow from Fruit Bats. They've have you heard this this project? No, I haven't. It's yeah, it's just this really, really beautiful um, trio doing sort of like traditional, um, sort of traditional British folk music, and combined with like elements of traditional American folk music. So really into that. Um, there's a, a songwriter named Twain that I've been. I'm really interested in recently. I saw him open for Big Thief when they came up through cool. Canada. And I mean, of course, I listen to Big Thief like yeah. everybody else right, <laughs> right. now. Right, don't we all? I think big, yeah, and I feel like, I mean, they're 
they're such an interesting project because they're sort of like universally agreed upon. Like, I don't know anybody who's a serious music listener who who doesn't like what they're doing, or at least at the very least, you know, appreciate it a great deal. So even, you know, even with this pandemic, the way they announced their tour ending and all that as well, I just thought they handled it so great. There's just so much to admire there. So I yeah. saw Twain, Twain open for... Um, Twain open for Big Thief, and uh, he's a songwriter. I don't even know where he's based out of. I think he might be... I don't even know if he's East Coast or West Coast. Um, I've been too busy listening to his music to <laughs> research it. Just a really unique, amazing songwriter. Um, Vic Chestnut, I've mentioned a ton of times. He's sort of always, at all times, he has so many different eras in his his um, output and so many collaborators that there's sort of something for every mood um, that I can dig into. I would say that's like mainly what's on my radar right now. I, I think there's a lot of Canadian bands that I could mention that maybe, I don't know if they maybe are known by the people who are listening to your podcast in the States. Do it but, anyway. Uh, yeah, there's um, there's a band out of Newfoundland called Conditioner, who are just a great band. I was out there in November and met one of the members of that band and just started listening to them. They just put out a new single recently. It's, it's awesome. So in terms of like, you know, new, maybe better known stuff, um, Damien Gerardo is a songwriter that mm-hmm. I really, really love. Yes. Listen to a lot. He just put out a new single. Um, there's been this, uh, Bill Fay is a songwriter. Are you familiar with Bill Fay's work? No. Um, he was a songwriter in like the seventies in the UK who released a couple albums and then got dropped from his record label, um, and sort of disappeared and decided not to do music. And then a group of like, you know, current contemporary musicians sought him out and he's putting out records now. He got signed to Dead Ocean. So he's like working with a lot of those folks. Oh, cool. Um, um, and he's put out a couple beautiful records in the last few years. Arthur Russell, someone I... Right. Yeah. Really love listening to all the time. I listened to, um, um, Luke Temple and Here We Go Magic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's someone who just really kind of blows my mind with what he does, and yeah, I guess that would be the big ones right there. I hope that wasn't great. too nebu- nebulous. No, oh, that's um, great. Uh, Joanna uh, Sternberg. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that record when I heard, I, I came to it a bit later than I think a lot of people, and it it totally blew me away. The new Francis Quinlan record, love Francis Quinlan. Yes. Um, that's like incredible, incredible work. Porridge Radio is sort of like a post rock kind of. Um, gra- garagey band that's coming out of the out of the UK right now, Porridge Radio. They're really, really wonderful. Cool. I'd say that's probably good, though. That's eh? great. Yeah, you said a lot. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do the thing where I'm like, do you know the, do you know one of the bands I know from Canada? But do you know Living Living Hour? Uh, no, I don't. They're based out of Winnipeg. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, Winnipeg's got a great scene. Yeah, they're a real good good band, good pals. They've stayed with me before on tour, but. What kind of what kind of stuff do they do? It's kind of like dreamy, sort of more chill, beautiful songs. Yeah, there's a lot lot of bands in Canada doing that mm-hmm. sort of chill, dream stuff yeah. really nicely right now. With some trombone yeah. and I don't know, it's cool. very very lovely. Yeah, cool. I'll check that out. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Uh, glad we could make this work remotely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for provoking me to go back and listen to the stuff I haven't listened to in so long. It was um, it was actually a nice experience. I went in expecting to just cringe my way through it. and mm. I, did, I did cringe a bit, but it was nice to know that... Um, it was nice to be reminded that you know high school was all right and I had yeah. good friends and mentors and a good community around me and that I'm still friends with some of these people and all that. That was a really cool experience, so thank you. Good. I'm glad. Uh, And thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. We did it. Hey, thanks for listening. 
You can find Michael Duguay's music on the internet everywhere you find music. And you can find us on Instagram at Bad Songwriter and on Twitter at Bad underscore Songwriter. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could rate, review, subscribe, share it with a friend, share it on social media. It really helps us out. If you are a songwriter who has material for this podcast and you'd like to set up a time to do it, we can record remotely. You can email me at badsongwriterpod at gmail.com. I hope you're all staying safe out there and doing all right. I myself am doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles. I think I'm on my fourth or fifth one of quarantine. And I'll catch you next week. Bye. Curled up crooked all along. Hey, sweet. Bear witness to.